guys are great. Can we just thank the church and, and Pastor Marty for just letting us be here and bringing us in? I know there's a lot of work that goes into this, and you know, Mark and Chris, they're not easy to deal with. So we just thank you guys that you've put up with them. And, well, we've got, it's going to be a good night. Are you ready? Yeah. It's going to be a really good night. See, you know why I know it's good? Because you're here. And because you're part of the one percenters. You're, you don't come out to a Tuesday night meeting at 7 o'clock unless you're serious about God. You just don't come out on Tuesday for anything less than expecting results. So it's going to be a good night. But... We, I get the privilege to introduce the speaker tonight. Oh my goodness, this is going to be so good. I'm thrilled. I'm blessed already. It hasn't even started. I'm sure we're going to pray tonight and see miracles and all that. I'm sure I'll preach something tonight because it's hard for me not to, especially when I have a microphone. You ever know that? Just hand me the microphone and... I'm building anticipation why his stomach turns a little bit. This is good. Now, I've known Mark now for a few years. This is a man of God. He and his family have moved from Branson to Columbia. They're part of the kingdom movement and what we're doing there. They have a heart to change the world for God. And uh, we believe that they're going to do that. Mark's been ministering all over the United States um, in a lot of different ways. He was pastoring up in Branson, and now he's with us taking over the world. And so it is my honor and privilege to introduce you guys to my good friend, Mr. Mark Schmier jones Amen. I am I'm privileged to be here to speak with y'all tonight. Um, it's going to be good. I'm excited. Uh, before we start, I need y'all to say something. I need you to repeat after me. Really simple, nothing crazy. Actually, it's kind of crazy and you're going to be confused, but I need you to do it anyway. All right? Okay. Just say, I'll have a steak. I'll have a steak. Medium well. <laughs> Medium well. There you go. Say it one more time. You'll, you'll understand later, but say it again. I'll have the steak. I'll have the steak. All right. <laughs> Any vegetarians in here? No? I actually meant to ask that first. Good. We're in Oklahoma. You don't need to be vegetarians. Cows everywhere, right? I have the steak. Okay. All right. We're going to start off with Psalm 50. Read verses 6 through 11. Brian's done an awesome job laying, uh, laying some foundation and uh, just brought out some really good stuff. So what I'm going to do is try to build off of that and make a few more connections. Okay. So Psalm 50 Verses 6 through 11, it says, Here, this is God talking, Here, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. Basically, God's saying, there's nothing that I need from you, yeah. right? Yeah. He wants us. He wants our relationships. But the part that I want to focus on is for every
every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. So the question we're going to try to answer is, why aren't we all having steak if he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills? So I need y'all to say it one more time. I'll have the steak. I'll have the steak. All right. All right. So we're going to start at the beginning. By the end of this message, you're going to name every steak, aren't you? <laughs> All right. this message already. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, who God is. We're going to look at the Israelites. And then we're going to turn it around and apply it to us in three different ways. So who? Who is God? Well, we just talked about God owns the world. We talked about dominion and how he gave man authority. The authority was stolen by Satan, but then through Christ Jesus, we got it back, right? In Christ Jesus, right? Okay. So God owns the world, everything in it. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. God is the owner of this world. Everything is his. What else is God? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What are we commanded to do? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, we also talked about earlier this week that love without a choice isn't really love, right? So, yeah, he commanded us, but it's because he wants that relationship with us. He wants it to be genuine. And so if we know God's love, if we truly understand God's love, it's kind of hard not to love him back. Amen. Amen. Yeah. If you've truly had an experience, a revelation of who God is, a revelation of his character, how can you not love God? The good, good father, the creator of all. Right. It's, it's pretty much impossible. All right. So let's talk about the Israelites. Who are the Israelites? They were God's chosen people. Started back with Abraham, right? Told him to get up from where you are, go to a land that you have no clue about. You don't even know where it is, but I'm going to show you, right? So the descendants of Abraham all receive the promises of Abraham. They all receive the blessings of Abraham, right? Abraham was the wealthiest man of his time. Even when he screwed up, even when he was in Egypt and he was afraid of what they would do to him because his wife was so beautiful, he ended up getting blessed. And that happened twice. It happened twice. So he's in Egypt and he tells his wife, Sarah, he goes, look, when we go in there, all the men are going to be staring at you. And they should because you're beautiful. I'm sure he said something like that. That's what I would say. They should, because you're beautiful, right? He said, but I need you to do me a favor. Me, your loving husband, I need you to help me out. Tell them you're my sister, not my wife. That way, they won't kill me, and they'll probably bless us. So she did that. And God sent plagues on the people of Israel, the pharaohs and all of his men and stuff. And he came to Abraham and he goes, why would you do that to us? Why in the world? And he told him, he's like, because I figured you'd kill me. She's gorgeous. 
said, get out of my city, get out of my, my country, whatever. And he sent them, actually, sorry, let me back up. Before he said that, when he got Sarah, because he was related to Sarah, because Abraham was related to Sarah, he gave Abraham a lot. He gave Abraham riches. They kept blessing Abraham cattle, whatever you can name. They were giving it to Abraham because of Sarah. Now, when he told Abraham to get out of my country, they didn't take it back. So even through his screw up, he left rich. He left blessed, right? It happened again with King Abimelech. He said the same thing. And this time God came to King Abimelech in a dream. And, and, and he went to God and was like, whoa, I didn't touch her yet. Uh, we're going to have to work something out because I'm an innocent man. Please do not condemn me. And the same thing happened. Abraham was blessed because of the promises that God had made him, even though he was screwing up, right? And so he ended up leaving with even more riches untold. So Abraham was pretty wealthy, right? We go throughout. He has Isaac. We all know the story about that. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob is the leader of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Everything happens. They go through, um, go through Egypt. Because of a famine, after a while, Pharaoh um, becomes afraid of the Israelites. Why is he afraid of the Israelites? It's a bunch of them, yeah. They keep growing in number. They're there for forever, for years. They keep growing in number, and he's like, okay, eventually, they're going to outnumber us. We need to do something. So he turned them into slaves. So the, king, the children of Israel... They were a mighty nation. Even though they were in slavery at that point, they were a mighty nation. So when God let them free, there were, there were over 600,000 men, men and ended up being over 2 million people, counting women and children. All right, so we've established who the children of Israel are. They were skilled people. We also know that as they're going through the wilderness and God has them as they're wandering because of their sin, God has them build a tabernacle, right? Now, this tabernacle tabernacle wasn't an ordinary tent. They required skillful workers, even all the way down to the intricate details on the priest's robes, the precious stones, the colors, the certain fabrics that they had to work with, the certain fabrics that they had to work with even for the tent. So the Israelites were a skilled people. They, they, they had woodworkers. They had people that were able to work with precious metals. This was no ordinary tent. It was for God Almighty, right? So they had skilled workers. They were a wealthy people. When they were leaving Egypt, before they went into the wilderness, Exodus 12, 35 through 36 says, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked for the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. They plundered the Egyptians and the Egyptians didn't even know it. God freed them from Egypt and they say, hey, since we're leaving, um, you got any gold, any silver you can spare? The Egyptians say, oh yeah, here you go. That's for you, right? That's the kind of God we serve. He just hands us stuff that we didn't even pay for. You know, he just, he likes to bless us like that. But anyway, 
That was the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people. They received the blessings of Abraham. And that continued, even though they kept messing up and coming back to God, it continued. All right, let's look at us. Who are we? God's children. We're God's chosen people also. We'll get to how. In Romans 8, 29 through 30, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What is that saying? It says, first, for whom he foreknew, he knew all of us before we were even in our mother's womb, right? He knew us. He knew what would happen also. Now, it's his will that all men are saved, but he knew who would choose what, right? And everybody gets a little iffy and antsy and stuff when you start talking about predestination and foreknowledge and all of that. But, I mean, I I feel like it's really clear here. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So he looked from the beginning of time all the way to our time, all the people before us, all the people after us. He looked forward to see, all right, who's going to choose me? Who's going to make the right decision? I'm offering this this gift to everyone. I want this relationship with everyone. I love everyone. It's my men. It's my will that all men are saved. But who is going to make that decision? Who's going to accept it and not reject me? When he looked forward and saw who would accept the right message, who would make the right decision, those people he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Hopefully that sinks in. So it's not just like, well, if he already knew, why didn't he just make everybody make the decision? Well, like Ryan said, if if you don't get the choice to love and you have to do it, is it really love? So he looked ahead and he goes, I know not everybody's going to make the choice, but those few that are making the choice, I'm going to predestine to be conformed to the image of my son. Okay? Next part of that, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who he predestined, he also called. So we got a lot of Christians and they're like, they're like, yeah, I, I made I made the decision. God God predestined me to be trans- conformed to the image of my son, of his son. And all right, now I'm a Christian, now I'm going to heaven. That's about it. Right? And they stop there. And they're content with living the rest of their life like that. They're content with just being like, I'm going to heaven. That's good enough for me. But the Bible says that he didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. But you have a calling. There's no if. I don't know what my calling is. That can be that can be real. And you can find your calling by your relationship with Christ. But there's so many Christians that are just like, you know, I know, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm supposed to live right and stuff. But they don't understand that there's an actual calling. There's some things that God has for them to do. And so they're just walking, walking around in circles, just doing life content with I'm a Christian. I'm in church. That's about it. One day I know I'll get to go to heaven and they're okay with that. Why are we okay with mediocrity? 
There's so much more that God has for us. I mean, you know, there's a, when you go to a restaurant, you get a chicken fried steak. Is that the same as steak? No way. No. Is it good? It's all right. In comparison to steak, though, I'll have the steak. I'm not settling for, well, I'm going to heaven and I'm good, right? So God actually has called every single person that he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And then it keeps going. Who he has called, he is also justified. Who he has justified, he is also glorified. All right, we're going to talk about that a little later also. We are God's prized possession. We are God's prized creation. We talked about why Satan is so angry about human beings, right? It's because we're the favorites now. He was the favorite, now it's us, and he can't take it. That's pretty simple. I'll move on. All right, and so through the dominion, we have authority on earth. And God's, we're, so we're God's chosen people. In John 17, um, I'm going to touch on this later, so it'll just be brief now. But John 17 uh, is right before Jesus is um, about to be crucified. And he's praying to God, and he's, he's asking God to take care of us. He's asking God, he's like, hey, this is time now. Everything's about to manifest. All the prophecies are kind of coming to a head. So God... I need you to take care of these children. I need you to sanctify them through me. And I need you to unify them through me. Okay? So that's who we are in Christ. We are the sanctified. We are the chosen. We are the called not to settle for mediocrity of God. All right. Also, we are joint heirs. Now, here I got a lot of examples here because this needs to sink in so you understand everything that we get as heirs. All of our inheritance that's going to come from God. So, first one, I'm going to move through these really quick, but you need to understand this. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Joint heirs. That means our level of inheritance has, it makes no difference whether we're firstborn, lastborn. That's how it used to work back in the day. Firstborn got most of the inheritance. Then there was a little left for the next one, a little left for the next one. And if you had 10 kids in your family, then the last one was messed up. (laughs) Not happy after their parents died, right? But this says we are joint heirs. Okay? Now, picture this before I go through these examples. Picture this. So God of all creation, right? Owns the entire world, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, owns all the birds of the mountains, owns all the beasts of the field. I think his supply of inheritance is kind of unlimited, right? I don't care how many human beings accept him. His supply of inheritance is unlimited. So we are all joint heirs with Jesus. Okay, so we know we're going to get an inheritance, but think about this. We're going to get just as much inheritance as Jesus, God the Son, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Everything that God gives him as an inheritance is ours. Amen. You don't sound like you understand that. Everything that God gives Jesus 
The Son of God is ours. We are joint heirs. We get everything that he gets. There is a spiritual contract that says, I am God's son. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. We are all God's children. And we get everything that God has for Jesus. And there's enough to go around for all of us. We're joint heirs. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We receive the same glory that Jesus does? Sounds controversial, but I'm sorry, it's scripture. The Bible says that. Galatians 3, 26-29, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you um, as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. Don't take that too far. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and the heirs according to the promise. I said don't take that too far because we don't want any confusion there. We're speaking straight Bible and that just means it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You are a joint heir with Jesus. Amen. And then it says we receive, well, we become the seed of Abraham as well. And so all the blessings that God has given Abraham and his people, the Israelites, whether you're a Jew or not, you get the same blessings. Yes. Ephesians 3, 6, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, it's a little more than verse 6, but uh, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, um, by which you read, blah, 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 which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective work of of his power. How many of you all are recipients of God's grace? Yes. Amen. And do you know what that means? As a recipient of God's grace, that's one of the things that allows us to become heirs. We weren't even the, the well, I don't know if there are any Jewish people in here, but if there are, then you're part of God's people, so good for you. But the rest of us, we're Gentiles, right? There were Jews, and then there was everybody else. Everybody else was the Gentiles. And so even though we weren't a part of the Jewish nation, we were not a part of the Israelites, God's grace allows us to still partake yes, yes, yes. in the benefits, in the blessings of Abraham. That's another reason we can be joint heirs. Hebrews six fourteen through 18. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation Skip down to the important part. Thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, which means the unchanging, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, 
that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, God is not a man that he should lie, amen? We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. That hope right there, when you look at it in the Greek, actually means faith. So the faith that God's given us, we have faith that his promises are true, amen? And that all the inheritance that he gives us allows us to be heirs, right? And we can have faith in that and make it work for us. All right, I got actually a whole lot more examples for being an heir, but we're going to move ahead. All right, so we're going to move into the why. First, the why of God. What does he want with us? God created us to worship him. He created us for relationship. He wants to love us, and he wants us to love him in return. Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That was a part of the law. Even under the new covenant, that's what he wants of us. Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He also wants us to live an abundant life. John 10, 10 says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Think about that word abundantly. What do you think when you when you hear abundance over and above, over and above? If you're talking about food, you have an abundance of food (laughs) more than you really need. Right. You have plenty. If you have an abundance of money, more than I need, I can buy whatever I want, right? An abundance of anything, especially in life, that's, that's awesome. It's an awesome gift of God. He wants us to live abundantly. He wants us to live as if we have more than we'll ever need. We have plenty. That's part of the blessings of Abraham. And that's how we're to live. We're supposed to live like that because it's true. We have an abundance of of everything we will ever need in life. Man, that's, good, brother. that's the blessing. That's part of our inheritance. But that's what he wants for us. In loving us, in correcting us, in disciplining us, the goal is for us to live an abundant life and to love him the way he loves us. Yes. He wants us to be fulfilled. For the Israelites, what did he want of them? When they... When they left Egypt, the original question was, or the original request of uh, Moses to Pharaoh was, let my people go, that they may go into the wilderness and worship. Right? God wants our worship. He's always wanted our heart. That's been the plan from the very beginning. That's why we were created, right? Amen. Adam and Eve, they walked through the garden with him in the cool of the day. He's always wanted that relationship. That's been the most important thing. He created us for relationship. He created us as the new favorite. Why would a God in control of everything create a new favorite just to boss him around? And in anywhere in the Bible, do you see any evidence that he just wanted to boss anybody around? Even when he gave the law, it was because of all the sin. Even when he gave the law, 
He wanted people to put him first. That was the whole goal. And then later we find out we're not even qualified to follow the whole law. And he just wants our relationship. Matthew 6.33, I'm getting ahead, but Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of heaven and, all, and his righteousness. Don't leave that part out. A lot of people just say, seek God and you got everything. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's always wanted you and all of you. All of us. The foundation of everything. He wanted the Israelites to worship him. That was the original plan for them to worship him. All right. What about us? What's our purpose? To worship him. And love him. To love him. To have relationship with him. Back to John 17. So in that prayer, before he's crucified, he's asking God to take care of us. But it's a long chapter. Otherwise, I'd read it. But the, the gist of it is he doesn't just ask God to look after us after he's gone. But in that chapter, we find out that the same unity, the same connection, the same relationship that God the Father has with Jesus the Son is the same relationship that they want us to have with God the Father. It doesn't stop there. The same relationship that God and Jesus have with the Holy Spirit is the same relationship that they would like for us to have with the Holy Spirit. doesn't stop there. The same relationship that the Trinity share with each other, they would like us to share that with them and share that with each other. Jesus prays that we are sanctified by his truth, that we're sanctified by him. And once that happens and we receive the Holy Spirit, we're connected to all of them. And all of us have the exact same Holy Spirit in us, so we're connected to each other. And a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Let me come back to that. We're called to be in unity with each other and with God. We're called to expand the body. Obviously, the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to all the world, right? We're called to be the body. The parable of the 99 sheep, why was it significant that God would go after the one? And what about the 99? If you know anything about sheep, which I grew up in Chicago and I didn't, so I had to research it. If you know anything about sheep, the sheep feel more confident and they're stronger when they have numbers. So if there's one that's off, if there's one that's lost, it's okay for the shepherd to go after them. Because the 99 sheep out of the 100, they're fine. They're going to take care of each other. That's God's goal for us as the body of Christ. Everybody has their own role. And if there's one lost, then it's not, oh, they'll, you know, we're, we're good here. We're not going to go and, and, and risk our own lives just because of them. No, 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 no. It's God's will that all men are saved. And if somebody is struggling, then it's our job to be the body of Christ and perform in the function that God has created each individual to perform in and take care of that loss. And that's why we bring them back into the sheepfold because there's strength in numbers. 
There's so many churches right now that they, they're like, we got to get more people uh, one over to Jesus. We got to get more people to say, to be saved, right? And then after they're saved, then what? Awesome. We want more for, one more for the Lord. Then they don't follow up with them. They don't disciple them. So you got this brand new Christian who made an awesome choice. And then they're like, I'm a Christian. Awesome. Now what? And then they don't have an answer to that question. So they go back to what they came from. And they want to legitimately do right. They want to live this walk the way that they're supposed to. But how are they supposed to know how if we just leave them by themselves? If we just send them out? As the body of Christ, it's our job to take care of that, right? We bring them into the sheepfold. We become their support. And we build them up to where they're as strong as we are. To where when they go back out, they still have the numbers of the rest of the sheepfold. Amen. Amen. All right. So come on. It's good preaching. Where was I? John 17. No. Okay. So the why that's that's what God has called us to do, to be the body of Christ. God wants us to be so in tune with him, with God, the father, with Jesus, the son, with the Holy Spirit, who is inside of us, that we're all unified and we're all working for the same cause. Now, the results of all of that. Matthew 6, I touched on that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We know that God's plan was for us all to be in perfect communion with him, for us all to be in perfect relationship with him. And if we follow everything that we just talked about, that will happen. And that was his plan for the Israelites also. He planned for them to go to the promised land. Now, we talked about, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead really quick. We talked about entering into God's rest, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for the Israelites going into the promised land, the reason that they circled the wilderness for so long is because God has showed them time and time again. Look at what I can do. Like he's seriously letting them travel and like, look what I can do. Look what I can do. And every time they complain, he's like, okay, watch what I'm going to do for you again. You still don't got it? Okay, let me try something else. No, it's not getting through your thick head, huh? Let me do something else for you. And through all of that, they go and scout out the, the promised land, and then they're complaining and they're afraid. He's like, I just showed you all the stuff I can do. I mean, you're, you're afraid of tall people when I just literally had a pillar of fire follow you and a cloud, and I just parted a sea for two million people to walk across but you're afraid of one army. I just provided food for you in a wilderness where there's no food. You're afraid of this army. I just fed you water from a rock. Two, two million people. And you're afraid of this army. You're afraid of a group of people. I just freed you from Egypt. And before I freed you from Egypt, I showed you ten plagues that, that, that displayed my power. 
So they go into the promised land finally. And even after that, he was like, look, we're going into the promised land. And you just have to obey. And I'll take care of everything. He literally said, I will give this army into your hands. Now, I don't know about you, but after seeing everything that I've seen, I think I would be able to trust God when he says, I'm going to give this into your hand. Amen. Okay. That's the Israelites. What's the goal for us? John 10, 10. Again, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. In spite of knowing that we have to deal with the thief that's sitting around here just looking for how he can take us out. He came that we may have life and we may have it more abundantly. Amen. That's what he wants for us. We talked about that. He also wants us to have eternal life. What does eternal life mean, though? Life with him forever and ever. Life with him forever and ever. The Bible clearly explains what eternal life is. It literally says eternal life is. John 17, 3, it says, and this is eternal life that they may know you. This is Jesus again. Chapter 17 of John. Jesus still praying to God the Father to take care of us after he's crucified. And he, he tells God, and this, this is weird, Jesus tells God this, but and this is eternal life, that they may know you so that we may know God the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That sums up eternal life. That sums up all of eternal life that Jesus wants us to know. That we can have perfect communion with him. That we can be in relationship with him and experience everything that God has for us as joint heirs. Amen. So, being that that's eternal life and that's the goal that God has for us, then how do we know God? We know them through experiences. We know them through revelations. As, as things happen in our lives, we get revelations of God's character. God took care of me here. God loved me so much that he did this. God provided for me here. We get revelations of God's character as we go through life. When I was a youth pastor, I used to really push the church answers. Because, one, that's all they would ever give if they weren't paying attention. Pray, read your Bible. Go to church, right? Anybody that's been involved with the youth group, that, that's a lot of the answers. Sometimes you get some really deep stuff from, from teens, but really a lot of the time, teens and kids, they pray, go to church, read your Bible. So one day I decided, you know, they're not necessarily wrong, but what can we do to actually help them find out why they're not wrong? And so we started doing a huge study into the church answers. Why is prayer so important? Why is being in your word so important? Why is going to church so important? Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So... God's perfect will, we, we, we decided that that's his goal for us, right? 
that we'd be in his will, that we'd have relationship with him, that we love him because we know who he is. And so we know the love of God and we know the characteristics of God. And how could you not love him without that? And so when we renew our mind every day and remind ourselves of who he is, of his character, of what he's doing all the time for us. Then we have prayer, simply talking to God, right? Two way conversation, though. It's not a monologue. It's not a play that you're putting on and reciting your verse and then like, thank you, and then walk away. Right? God talks back to us, especially with this Holy Spirit inside of us. And then we talked about being in church and being a part of the 99, being the support, being the body of Christ. These are why the church answers are so important, because they're the basis for us living the life that God wants us to live. And then he wants us to enter into God's rest. We we just read Matthew 11, 28 through 30. But that says, I'll read this part again for take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that point, it is no longer about us. We're not striving to follow the rules. It's not so much hard work gets the job done. Yeah, there's some things we're going to have to do and be obedient, but he makes it easy. His yoke is light. He's not tugging at our necks. His, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's not a huge weight. His obedience is not a huge weight on us. His obedience is not us walking around feeling like slaves. He loves us. And even though we are slaves of Christ, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. I'd rather be a slave of Christ than be a slave to sin any day. Why? Because when you're a slave to sin, it is about you. It is about how much work you have to do. It is about having to please people and trying to be accepted, right? But God's yoke, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. You accept him, you obey him. It's easy living, right? Now, trouble happens, yes. But guess what? Even though trouble is guaranteed in the world, the Bible says that God has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. So it's no longer about us. In Jesus, we have completed the law. Galatians 3, 10 through 14 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That sums up every single thing we just talked about tonight. The blessings of Abraham. The law no longer being in effect. We're under the new covenant. We have unity in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And because of that, we receive the blessings of Abraham. Because of that, we can take care of the rest of the body of Christ. Because of that, being that the law is completed in us, 
We no longer have to deal with the curse. God, Jesus already took care of that. Now it's all blessings from here. If we're in Christ Jesus. If we're living by faith in Christ Jesus. So to sum that part up, old covenant, do good, curse. Or sorry, do bad, curse. Do good, blessings. There's no more curses. So all we have to look forward to right now is the blessings. That's part of the inheritance. Amen. So like Ryan says all the time, God's doing this for me. God's doing that to me. It's not the case because all we have to look forward to now is blessings. The curse is done away with. Um, sorry. So now we are the righteousness of God. Let me tell you a quick story and then I'll wrap all this up. My wife and I just recently moved to Tennessee. And um, the journey started, actually it started when we met Ryan, but it started just over a year ago. And we felt God telling us that something was going to change. We didn't know necessarily what that meant. And so we kept seeking God, putting him first. Um, It was a time where I was thanking God because me and my wife were on the same page. Our family was doing great. God was blessing us. A long time ago, I had finally come to the realization that God takes care of his children. And, and Ryan's talked about using your faith as a muscle and developing it. And I started financially with one bill, and our electric bill was due. And with four kids, you can't really tell, even if you have a, a decent job, that you make good money, right? <clears throat> so I started with an electric bill, and I was like, you know what, God? I panic about this every time. And every time you come through, and it's not because I panic, you are already taking care of that, right? I was like, you know what? I'm going to try something. God, my electric bill's due. I'm not sure how I'm going to pay it, but you always take care of it. So I know you're going to do it this time. The next day, somebody literally handed me a check. I was like, oh, that was fun. Let's try it again. And it started happening a lot. It's not always somebody hands me a check, but God makes sure that we are taken care of. And so our faith was building and building and building. And so about about a year ago when we felt God telling us to do something different and to move, and well, eventually it was to move, God spoke through a couple people, including Ryan, and... um, And we're trying to figure out where to move and all that kind of stuff. And Ryan sent me a message that I think this is for you. And it was, I don't remember which preacher, but he was like, sometimes we're so bogged down with saying, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And God's just like, just pick and I'll back you either way. That was mind blowing. And I had never heard that kind of teaching in my life. And I was just like, okay, put it on the shelf. See what happens. Keep praying. I go to a conference, and somebody else, prophet, was like, hey, uh, I, I know you. I don't know what's going on, though, but um, I just feel like God's saying, just pick one. He's got your back. And I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> and so eventually, through a bunch of details that I'm not going to share right now, we decided to move to Columbia. Right when we decided to move to Columbia, My wife has an instant job there. Um, 
We were worried about other things being paid off before we leave. Like, you move in a family of six, seven and a half hours away. That's not an easy undertaking. But God just started laying everything in our laps, paying off things that we needed, paying off certain bills that we had to have paid off before we left, taking care of relationships that needed to be mended before we left, handing us money, like literally people blessing us with money, hey, this is for your move. Um, I have two daughters that I inherited through marriage. And one of the big things we wanted to do was a, a step-parent adoption before we left so that we could do it in the home state. That's the easiest process or whatever. And we're like, you know what? God will take care of it. You know, let's just work on the other stuff and moving. So through that process, our lease is up in January. We weren't planning on moving until March 4th. Somebody is like, hey, it's just two of us, and we have a five-bedroom house. Just come live with us. Okay. A week before we leave, hey, we want to bless you with a few thousand dollars so you can adopt the girls. Praise God. Hallelujah. A day after that, here's $1,500 for the moving truck. And this stuff just kept happening over and over and over and me and my wife's faith was just so built up at that point. And we're like, nothing is stopping us. Nothing. We're going. That's going to be our promised land. And nothing is hindering us. The day I get the moving truck, it randomly snows in Branson. I slide down the truck ramp and just about break my foot. And I was like, nothing is stopping me. So I hobbled around for two days loading this truck. And my wife couldn't really do anything. She was still working. And... And she was getting the kids taken care of and feeding them and stuff. And we were both just like, I don't care. Nothing's stopping us. I'm in pain. I'm like in tears. And nothing is stopping us. We drive all the way to Columbia and we feel like, all right, we made it. And we got to rest a little bit. Then we live with Ryan for about a month, month and a half. <laughs> who also has four kids so there's 12 people under one roof we are so sorry <laughs> but the crazy thing is I mean, we were good it's, it's, I don't know I can't even explain to you how it worked out except for God there's 12 people in one house and 8 kids so, I mean, there was, there was a few sibling fights between the kids, and that was really just about it. Everything was worked out. Ryan and his family were so gracious to us. And that whole time, I still didn't have a job, and we obviously didn't have a house. And what happened? What, what was our attitudes? Man, at least in Branson, I knew I could borrow money here. At least in Branson. And this whole year, I had been reading through the Israelites, and so finally it clicked, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> I'm an Israelite. We had it better in Egypt. <laughs> I will never call them idiots again. <laughs> and I told my wife, we're praying against that. That does not need to be our attitude. And we kept praying and we kept praying and we kept seeking God and we kept putting them first. And with with housing, now I don't know if Ryan was doing something behind the scenes, he might have been, but the point is, 
Think about the Israelites. When they actually got to the promised land, God said, I'll hand this army, I'll, I'll give this army into your hands. What did that mean? They had to be obedient. There were some specific things that they had to do, but God was faithful, and he did what he said he was going to do. The walls of Jericho, they walked around. It's not a big deal to walk around a city after you've been walking around the wilderness for 40 years, right? God told them to walk around the city. It was weird, but they were obedient, and God gave them the city. The very next city that they encountered, God said, I will give the city into your hands. They went to fight. And the Bible says that God caused a panic among the other army. So the Israelites just went into war, just picking them off, right? And the ones that they missed, God picked them off with hail. And that ended up being more people than what the Israelites killed. They had to be obedient. But they didn't have to do any work. They simply had to be obedient to God and God took care of the rest. Amen. The house that we're in now, I told my wife, that's our house. We didn't keep calling the guy. We couldn't afford to rent it at the time. By everything on paper, we shouldn't be in the house. And the last week leading up to before we got into the house, he kept calling us. You find anything yet? I don't know if you all can afford this. And then he'd hang up and we're like, okay. Then we go and sit down and talk with him. He asked for a meeting. We go sit down and talk with him. And he's like, all right, well, let me pray about it. See if God gives me peace about this. The next day, my wife's calling me like, hey, we got to go sign papers. We're moving into the house. And I was like, what? what? Then I move into the house. And, or actually, sorry, right before I move into the house, our van, here's another thing that, that kept happening in our vehicles. Our van, the transmission went out right before we moved to Columbia. And that was part of the thing. We're like, we're, we're not, this isn't stopping us. We're going to leave it here. And we're going. Well, that was another blessing. Somebody blessed us with money, and we fixed the transmission. So I came back to get the van. And I had applied for a job. Before we moved, my broke, I broke my phone, and somebody came to fix it because I had insurance on it. I was like, this is a cool job. Somebody actually comes to me to fix my phone. I don't have to take it to a shop or send it in. Like, man, I would love to have that job. I'm applying for jobs for a month and a half and nothing. All of a sudden, this job pops up right in my face as I'm on my phone, bored, because I'm sitting at home without a job. And I was like, oh. And I applied. They called me while I'm in Branson picking up the van that got fixed. And they're like, hey, uh, what area do you live in? Columbia. What? And I'm like, is that good or bad? And they're like, we've been looking for somebody for Columbia for two years. And they're like, can you start tomorrow? I said, yeah. I'm on the road back to Columbia right now. I get three days into the job, and they're like, hey, uh, we don't have anybody else for Columbia, so we're going to make you the field service manager. So you're going to need to hire some people and take care of that entire area. That means wow. every phone that breaks in that area, you get paid for. Wow. You all know how often people break their phones. It's a, a good phone. business. <laughs> a lot of phones. 
God just started blessing us. I didn't have to do anything except for be obedient. My wife and I got on the same page and we received the blessings of Abraham. God put us in the promised land and he handed us, he put the city into our hands. Amen. Amen. Those are the blessings of Abraham. We are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. That's what he wants to do for us. And it's not one of those things where, oh, he did it for them. That's awesome. I'm so happy for them. Maybe one day he'll do it for me. He wants that for every single one of you. We are all joint heirs. That means we are all called according to his purpose. And everything works together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and that love him. Amen? Amen. Amen. This isn't for a few people. This is for everybody. Amen. This is for everybody. Repeat after me. This is for me. This is for me. Say it again. This is for me. This is for me. Now say, I'll have the steak. I'll have a rib. Amen.